Hi folks, how are you? I hope this finds you well and in a good place. Uh, we're coming to you slightly late this week just because we wanted to, well, pay our respects to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, it being her uh, funeral this week. And yeah, I wanted to say just how I've just finished watching it as I'm recording this. I uh, spent most of the day watching it with my mother-in-law and my kids and just talking to them about various things. And, you know, everything, whatever you think or feel about the monarchy or the royals, um, I just wanted to commend the production team who brought us this footage today. Um, it was perfection. It was emotive. It was a fantastic piece of drama, really. Um, there's one particular scene that really stood out for me, which was after the ceremony at Windsor Castle in the chapel and the lone piper. And you just saw him through the door, just walk away. That kind of was a number of occasions that broke me, actually, uh, during the, the whole experience. But I just wanted to, yeah, say my um, congratulations to the team behind bringing us this huge event today to billions of people around the world uh, what an amazing job to everybody involved so yeah I just wanted to say that really before I introduce this week's guest on the podcast and I mean if nothing else as well the extraordinary music that you hear within those environments of churches and cathedrals and that the church organ is always something that resonates with me you'll be bored senseless of me talking about how much I love the interstellar uh, score which was written on a church organ so I, I just have this every hair on my body stands on end as soon as I hear a kind of chord on a church organ so it was uh, that definitely was very emotive for me today but I wanted to um, get excited about a lot of the guests that we have coming up on the show but I can't be too specific about it so what I'm going to do is just get into this week's episode if that's okay because um, I'm really excited about this one because it's been over three decades since the original graphic novel came out. But 2022 was the year that finally saw Neil Gaiman's seminal comic book series, The Sandman, translate to the screen. To try and explain the premise and scope of the Netflix fantasy series in a sentence or two would, well, quite frankly, be futile and an insult to the epic dimensions of Neil's imagination and the work of the team that helped realise his vision for TV. So you'll have to settle for one of the said team instead, composer David Buckley. And we'll begin with David's main title theme, The Kingdom of Dreams.
Hey, David. Hi, Edith. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah. 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 Got to be happy with the res- response to the Sandman, first of all. Surely that's been a phenomenal reaction, isn't it? It is. No, it feels really nice. But it, it's funny, you know, I, I, I tend not to, when something's, because obviously I finished it, well, three or four months, I can't even remember, a number of months ago. Life moves on. Yeah. Was aware that this was coming out and it was a long period of my life involved in it. And very gratifying to see the positive response. Of course, you can also, it's not difficult to go navigate to places and start seeing all the shitty comments. <laughs> yeah. Well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's the nature, nature of our world. No, it's good. I mean, the thing that would now, because we had the bonus episode coming out on Friday, you know, that that felt like another landmark. And now there's just the obvious landmark that we're waiting for is whether we get to season two. Yeah. And it's it's a bit of a sort of um it's just so difficult to know. I mean I've got I've had no sort of word in the ear. I mean it's all I know is it's just the, the continuous talk about how expensive it is to make and yeah. yeah. I was lucky enough to do uh a little screening exclusive screening down at the BFI with Neil and some of the cast. Because it's not always the opportunity where you have the original creative that sees something through to this point where something that, you know, that originated however many decades ago that sees it through sort of thing. And it was so interesting because he was, I I sort of said to him, you know, why now? And he's like, well, I've been, I've been spending the last 30 years trying to hold people back and stop people from making this. Because they weren't doing what he, what he wanted. Yeah. Because he was, you know, he had a very clear idea of, you know, of how he wanted it to, to be and I think that relationship between him and Alan Heinberg as well is just mm-hmm. so paramount in a mm-hmm. getting this off the ground and just everybody on the same page with it sort of thing. If their enthusiasm on the night is anything to go by, I mean they're desperate for, to do a second season. I mean Neil's like yes, please. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean you know I have Alan's told me that you know we got this this thing in season two. I mean I, <laughs> life is a raring. I mean it's just, it's ready to go. Just needs a check written. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, exactly. So it's, yeah, it's good. No, it's all good. It's just because you're really entering a world on this one. It's not like, you know, if I was doing, let's just say an action kind of show, just a sort of straight up action show and you do 10 episodes and yeah, you know, some people like it, some people don't like it. That'd be one thing. But because Neil's world is so colourful and ornate, yeah and unpredictable you really have to throw yourself into it i think more so than probably any other show i've done so therefore you feel so much more invested therefore you are waiting for netflix to give their verdict in a way yeah. that normally you win some you lose some you know yeah I-, I didn't read the original comics but absolutely fell in love with the world and the characters and it does this unique thing where obviously you know there are characters and storylines and threads that run episode to episode but also each episode almost works as standalone as well, which is not always the case with things like that. It's very, very clever. As a composer, with that in mind, I mean, I don't know where you started on with this in terms of you know the conversations that you had and who you had those conversations with in terms of what was expected or needed or what they were looking for with the score. Well, the conversations, the initial conversations I had when I got the job were were, were ones of sort of catch up. And actually, it was my moment to read some of the comic comics and uh, to speak with Alan a lot. I mean, you know, obviously the three musketeers are Alan, David Goyer, and Neil Gaiman. Yeah. With Neil being the, the creative source of it all. Um, but Alan was the showrunner. So he was my, 
you know, he was my guy. I felt like he was in the trenches with me, albeit. We yeah. Were, I don't think everyone the same landmass, and it wouldn't. What would it matter? We were still in the pandemic, so we were all doing this basically. Zoom yeah. Was our friend, uh, but we had, you know, the initial conversations were all not concerning themselves with music, in fact, but just concerning themselves with what is the salmon? What was Neil's original concept? Where are we? How are we bringing that to life on the small screen? And what are the characters? What are we trying to do with them? What are the? Mm-hmm. And I was warned, you know, that this is we do have this almost like you know seven. Certainly, the first six episodes all feel like they're they're their own little thing, and then mm-hmm. seven to ten has a bit more of an over. Yeah, of the four of those episodes, and then eleven. Not only is its own thing; it's only two of its own things with the Dream of a Thousand Cats. And- yeah. The second part. So it's um, you know, the conversations, it was good to have those initial conversations which didn't get too bogged down in what the music should be, because I think that there were some more fundamental things that I needed to learn. I mean, I suppose had I been a you know big fan of the comics and knew about it before, maybe I could have circumvented some of that stuff, but I would still need to know, well, yes, I I've looked, I understand the comics, whether because I had prior knowledge or whether I now mugged up on them. But, but that's, I'm not scoring the comics, I'm scoring a television. Exactly. Show. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, then when I sort of felt that I had learned this world to some extent, um, the best I could, knowing that at some point I can't just keep reading the comics and, and trying to claim that, that that's my job. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we had to, had to pivot from that into what should the music be. And my real road into all of this was was trying to give some musical life to to dream to our protagonist mm. to 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 give him a tune a, a, an aesthetic and because i knew or at least i felt some confidence that if i could get that established mm. i could feel that, that was something that could live on then it didn't really matter whether i was in a diner in episode 5 or in hell in episode 4 or in a 13th century tavern in London in, in episode six or in a vortex in episode eight. As long as I had a core identity for for our for the Sandman, for Dream, for Morpheus, yeah. Morpheus then I then I knew I could go on this journey. I was a I had a sort of tool, I had an instrument that I could go forward with. So that, that was the way in it. And, I, you know, it took a while. It took some time. It was, I wouldn't say it was easy, um, but we did have more time than I've had on other TV shows. For example, I'm doing the final season of a show I do called The Good Fight at the moment. 
We're doing one a week for 10 weeks, and that's it. I've got no time. It's just wow. I don't know what's happened to the schedule. It's insane. Even when that was on network television, there was more time. Now I don't understand what happened here. So yeah, the good fortune with that is that I've been on that in that universe for 12 yeah. years. But if, you know, with the Sandman, I needed some time to go wrong as well. I needed some time for people to have a pause and think, how does that really work within the show now? And how does that really work if we move from episode one and try it in episode four? So scope for experimentation was very important. And I'm glad we had that moment. really interesting because not many people talk about that side of it in terms of not making mistakes but creating things that you know don't work because you learn from that in the same way in life do you know what I mean you learn from your mistakes it's half the time knowing what doesn't work can help you work out what does work absolutely I mean it's you know it's that tough old thing that anyone who whether you're a writer poet artist you know there is that moment of realization which can be pretty grim you know depending on what your you know, the expectations of, of other people are either just in terms of why didn't you get it right the first time or, or just simply the fact my god this thing I've got to deliver it but if you know that you, your wrong footing is not seen as a weakness and it's actually a strength it's like yeah I'm really happy that we tried that thing and that one that didn't you know bring this character to life or it didn't um, so that's good because we know that that doesn't work. Now we need to, based on that, we need to go here. If one sees it all as a positive, then then one's in, you know, you're in good shape. And I think, you know, Alan, who I work with the, the closest on this, he he gave me all the time. He he gave me a sort of confidence. I, I definitely had moments of of like, oh my god, what am I doing? Um, but but Alan's faith in me seemed to be as far as I could tell. Maybe he said, I don't know, what's that bucking guy doing? But certainly when he spoke to me, his his faith in me seemed seemed unwavering um and that's good because then you know if you know that the person who's work well it depends alan chose to work with me mm-hmm. and i've w- worked with directors and showrunners who have not chosen to work they they basically said you get you do it you sort it out it's yeah a problem. So you're, you're the head of the department I'm not head of department i'm a bloody musician um and i'll try and help you if you help me but that collaboration helped this show i have no question about it
it's so fascinating because he's a bit of a legend Alan isn't he as well when you yeah. kind of like I got a bit total like fangirled out at him when I met him as well because it's kind of like all that TV that we watched Grey's Anatomy, Sex and City, yeah. The OC, all that kind of stuff it's like man you're a pretty big deal you are aren't you it's yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah and he's quite unassuming though absolutely I mean, yeah yeah no it's it's incredible you know when I would email him sometimes like in that, uh, those formative moments when I wasn't really writing notes at that point. And I was, you know, how do we deal with this character This in, in episode five? And like mm. two minutes later, really like intelligent, like simple but intelligent reply, just like outlining this is what this, is what this character is. He was never saying you need to play these notes, but it's like, this is what we need to feel. And and then does and then it, and it always like, does that make sense? Do you want to just, yeah. you know, do we jump on the phone? And, it, you know, God. It's not. It's not always that one comes across someone. Yeah, his facility and ability. So, how lucky was I? <laughs> I love that story. We told it actually at the BFI when we did the screening. That full circle of Alan standing in line to get a piece of art signed by Neil. <laughs> um, a bit of Sandman art signed by Neil, and then cut to however many years later. How lovely is that? It's such a beautiful yeah. story, isn't it? It's great. It's really nice. I didn't know that actually. I was really, I was dest- I was supposed to be there that evening, and in the oh. end, I, just, I couldn't, I couldn't make it unfortunately. Which I was too like, busy, too busy, David. Well, I just um, moved to the UK, so it was, um, it just, it just turned out, and I'm not, and not to London, so it just turned out not to be the right time. So yeah. What the other? You talk about, you know, I mean, Tom's Tom's performance's dream, you know, is is absolutely brilliant. But did performance, you know, in terms of. Uh, you know where where was the production whilst you were writing as well? You know were there things had the, were the things shot and stuff as well so that yeah. you know so you could feel the performance in terms Absolutely. of yeah that's really where I feel I can start to engage and I feel that that's a part of my process on anything which is that you want to listen to the voices and you want to see the the coloring. Never mind the CGI to be done. Never mind there's possibly still editorial things to be done. There's raw footage there which is what I respond to and I need to hear you know with obviously you know Tom's voice is he's using a very specific range in which he speaks specific dynamic that it's a part into how I write I can't just you know if I just thought okay Sandman superhero yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) we're not going to get anywhere I I need to hear all that stuff I need to see you know see how scenes are shot I mean constant I'm talking VFX they say, well, if you want any VFX updates, you know, just let us know. And I said, well, I'll let you know now. Yes, please, everything. Send it to me. Send it to me because I want to be, I want to be a part the of the world of this world. And I also don't want to be redundant. I don't want to be like attention seeking. When if there's something that's really cool in visual effects or lighting or whatever. I may not need to replicate that. That work may be very, very sufficient and and full and i may need to do something sensitive conversely there may be a moment where i'm forewarned that there's we're not really doing anything here so you mm. can hold the show you can take the stage here so that well again going back, using that word counterpoint i think is really important in a show like this where you're dealing with sort of surreal magical elements and also more earthly matters from mm. time to time. yeah I, so i needed to see as much mug up as much on the new source material, not just Neil's original comics, but the new, yeah, you know, bringing this to life. And so, yeah, it, now when I started, I'd say I probably four or five episodes were shot and sort of 
edited pretty close to, yeah. to how they wanted them to be. There was still, I think, there's still an episode to be written, and there was many sh- episodes still being being shot. So it was, mm. yeah, it was sort of all all happening concurrently. But it, yeah, but it was great that you know, again, they would share with me. I've been on shows again where they're sort of very reticent to show you anything until they've had everyone sign off on it. It's like you can't do that. You got if you want if you want to let someone try and breathe something into this, you've got to give them some, some oxygen so that they Yeah, can... it's collaboration as yeah. well. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's the whole, yeah. it's where the best work comes from. Do you know what I mean? Where oh, those, li- those yeah. lines between departments kind of almost sort of blend and morph. Yeah. Really to... And we had, for example, the, I my first episode that I scored was episode one, which I think was the right thing to do. But then just because of VFX schedules and readiness the next one was episode five the 24 7 the diner episode which was which was good in a way wow. it me how it, it made it abundantly clear right yes this is we are moving around here we are not just sitting in one space so mm. it's a real kind of jolt to the system that i need to i need to stay on my toes i can't just no sense oh i'll just put those episode one cues in episode tracks in episode five and it will work of course it wouldn't, it wouldn't work in a million years uh, I can't remember why I was talking about episode five. Now. Oh, yeah, but we had, you know, w- when we discussed the music for that episode, we did it with the sound design team because it was it was absolutely plain and clear that this was going to be a trade between what, what the music was doing and what the sound yeah. was doing. Now, again, no point me, like, you know, here's this weird Ruby doing this thing. Am I going to be the one, you know, asserting myself? Are they going to be the ones? It, it needs to have that dialogue, that creative dialogue. Otherwise... There is that risk that that one is not being additive and just being, you know, putting the hat on top of the hat on top of the hat. Yeah, I've seen and I not I've seen at close quarters on on not this world because this world is so unique, but in in worlds that have a similarity to it, just this overload of everything. Yeah, throw that cue back in. We can just use that cue we used before back in this bit sort of thing. It does, yeah, it doesn't yeah, work in this yeah. world. And what's nice about this is because it's so ornate and it's so rich. It, 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 you know, I had I had a lot of instruments. I had an orchestra. I had a choir. I had soloists, sound manipulated stuff. You know, it was all there, but never. Well, there were some occasions I thought let it all happen concurrently because I think it was justified. But if I needed to go down to a, like a, just a single thing here, mm-hmm. or just a wavering tone or something. Then I I could I um and it worked it wasn't there's some things that I've because it's strong because of the the, the the writing strong that everything before I got to it was strong I didn't feel I felt that I could actually explore pleasant interesting things rather than this sense of oh can you just prop everything up because we have yeah everything, which yeah you know, that's happened. <laughs> Those are really good examples of what I was saying at the start about that thing about how some of the episodes have really got that ability to stand alone, almost as kind of like 
you know, sort of mini films in a way. Episode five is a great, as is episode six as well. You know, that yeah, kind of, that, oh my, I was, I was in bits in that one. Jeez mm-hmm. Louise, it's such a beautiful kind of exploration of death and loss and dealing with that. It's just, it's so, it's so great. And the performances are, I mean, David Thewlis in that episode, oh, he's just, I mean, it's the, the whole casting is just perfect really. And you get like these people who pop up in, you know, little kind of sections and, and like Mason Alexander Park, who plays Desire. I mean, in it very little. And I'm desperate for more because it's kind of the sort of luxury of that role and that performance. You're just oozing to see and hear more of it. That's I imagine that was quite a fun character to or, or scenes to write when when Desire yeah, no, was I there. Enjoy, I enjoyed, enjoyed those very much. And as you say, I think there was no more than three scenes in the entire season but incredibly that's a huge amount of potency mm. when i watched the first scene of substance because one of them was just a fleeting moment i think at the episode of uh season uh, episode five and then the other yeah was actually desire within their sort of their own realm with the heartbeat now i was just told that you know there's going to be some heartbeat like thing but i couldn't really see it but so i incorporated into this into this slightly freaky you know, I don't know how you describe the desire theme, but I, I quite, it has a sort of heartbeat component and a little bit of kind of, I don't know, it's a little kind of off-kilter sexiness going on in there as well. So, the, yeah, those are really fun, fun scenes to do. And as you say, it's it's interesting because actually if you count the minutes up, they're probably only in, I don't know, probably not more than five, but they somehow have left a huge impression on the whole show. And I, it's hard to imagine. I, I don't know. This is not, I'm not going to spoil this way because I'm talking purely from <laughs> sons of ignorance here. Hard to imagine why that wouldn't be a character that's developed loads more next season. You know, Stephen Fry as well as Gilbert, those moments. Who else could have done that? I mean, <laughs> I, that's the th- I was thinking that today, actually, yeah, particularly yeah. at that at that kind of final scene we see him in, which I don't want to give anything away if people haven't watched it yet. But yeah, you're kind of like 
there's the delivery that he gives of that in that moment, the kind of the few the last words that he kind of says in yeah. that scene, and you kind of like there is nobody else who could deliver that. And 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 kind of reach into your soul almost in a way in that moment. It's kind of like yeah, no, it it, it was it was the most sort of Stephen Fry moment imaginable <laughs> within here. I mean, I, in fact, I felt compelled to to send him the the music I wrote for that specific area because I just because it, it was quite English and and it had a sort of pastoral. Not that I'm saying Stephen Fry is well he's English. I don't want to say anything pastoral. I'm sure as many things could possibly be pastoral, but I wanted him to. I wanted to hear it. He actually sent me a very nice email back saying how it was quite uh, one of those emails I should probably frame at some point. No, you know, and just it's funny how characters, you know, Charles Dance and Derek Jacobi in episode 11. I yeah. Mean, I mean, it's an extraordinary cast. Yeah. And even sort of in that, you know, I seen Chowdhury and, and Sanjeev yeah. as well. It's kind of yeah. the, yeah. that kind of comedic sort of tonal. Yeah. It's just there's, I mean, there's the, the casting is absolutely brilliant, I think, in the show. It's so clever. But like you say, it's, it really teases us. Like Gwendolyn Christie as well as Lucifer is just... It's she's so brilliant in it, so yeah. fantastic. Just leaves you wanting more, which I guess is the it's what they're trying to do. That's what aren't they're trying you? to do. That's yeah. the old formula. So you're all trying to do. Make us want more, basically. Oh, I know. It's one yeah. bastards, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you entertain us along the way as well. Um <laughs> I, I hope you, I wondered if it'd be all right to talk about a couple of films as well. That yeah. I mean it's, you know, the, the idea of being able to talk in, in depth about all of your work would be impossible in the time that we have. But I picked out a couple, if you don't mind, just because they were kind of particular favourites of mine. And I was really hoping that there was going to be a series of these films, Nice Guys. Yeah. I flipping love that film. It was so funny. I thought Gosling and, and um, Russell Crowe together were the most, I don't know, it was just very funny. I had a great time watching that film. Yeah. A I lot mean, of fun. It was a funny old movie. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a funny old, it was a funny movie. Yeah. I put it on the sort of list of one one of the better movies I've done. You know, it's a difficult one when you're doing like a period piece, which it is, 
you know, it's difficult to know where to land with the music because obviously you've got all the songs in there which are which are from the year. Huge, yeah. Um, and great, you know, great tracks that were used. And then it's, there was a lot of conversation at the beginning, you know, what should the score be? <laughs> Problem is with, with sort of 70s score, especially when you're in detective mode and stuff like that, we, we realised, because I co-scored this with John Ottman, and we realised that there's there's a line which when crossed you go properly cheesy and yeah. it sounds you're no longer kind of you know it just sounds like you're taking the piss basically so it was but at the same time we realized that if we went sort of if we did a modern thriller kind of approach to it it didn't it took away the fun it took yeah. away the fact that we wanted to enjoy it it, it was a, it was a question mark at the beginning and i think the, the i think when we found the the, the notion well, okay if you if you start adding all that stuff then it then it sounds like you're no longer you've just kind of given up a little bit and you're telling the audience that they don't need to they don't need to care so i would definitely say it wasn't the easiest thing totally to to to, to hit on performances were so great and you know Shane Black I mean yeah there's a lot of good stuff we yeah you know, we started off from like a pretty quality again you know there was such good stuff laid out for us that that once we cracked that initial you know how far do we push this yeah and then then it was yeah it's yeah. it's hard as I imagine it's really tricky when you've got that kind of that soundscape of all that existing music I mean the kind of the other one, the other film that I thought that when I was thinking about talking to you about it, that I think that musically did a similar thing and, and with the score as well that, that really, really worked was Boogie Nights, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson's in terms of that yeah. era yeah. and all that kind of existing music. And then, but the score kind of cuddling all those tracks in a way. Do you know what I mean? In a yeah, way. Yeah. I, well, I think, I think there's a type of film that does that. I mean, I've done a, I've done a couple of others that, that ilk nobody there was a film bob odenkirk's sort of mm -hmm. action breakout film nobody which is a great movie uh, mm -hmm. and that's got a lot of needle drops a lot of cool tracks and you know you i think at that point as a composer you have to slight you have to slightly lose your ego and realize i need to let these songs shine yes yeah. I, do have a, I do have a job to do in between these songs and i don't want to be lazy i don't want to just you know, just hold a note and say, wait for the next song. Um, you do need to, you do need to help kind of stitch the whole thing together. slightly different skill from just knowing that you own the whole sonic landscape and i i mean i think i learned 
probably how to do this when I I, I helped Danny Elfman out on all the Fifty Shades of Grey movies, well, Fifty Shades, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of songs in there. And the songs are what people kind of remember at the end of the day, probably more than anything else. Or maybe there's a few other scenes they might remember, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when you have in those films where pre-existing classic songs are are involved, you do need to wear a slightly different hat as mm-hmm. And I think it's a good skill to have as well. Yeah. Because it, it it reminds you that it's not just me, 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 that we're mm. going back to what we spoke about earlier, the collaborative nature. Yeah. It's good. Humility is is not never a bad thing. I wish Ben Affleck would make direct more movies as well because you worked on the town, didn't you, as well with him? Yeah. Well I've I I love... baby gone. Yeah, I loved that. I mean, yeah, those I mean, he's got such a good he's a really good, I mean, a really great director. I kind of I, I wish you would do more, but that was a great score, a great film as well. You know, it's funny when, when you think about someone like Ben because he's he probably got that reputation for doing, you know, as, as an actor, probably for doing you know, probably a little bit more cheesy kind of stuff, and then he really kind of reimagined himself as a director mm-hmm. of serious, gritty, honest filmmaking. I mean, that you know, both Gone Baby Gone and the and the town, the town have a yeah, real, real honesty to them. You know, you feel when you're in the, you know, with those bank robbers in the town, you, you kind of feel like you're there. You can smell the sweat and the, yeah. and the booze. And again, you know, but all these things present challenges, though, because in, in the in the town, you know, Ben's big thing, he always used to say, I don't want too much music in my music. He didn't want anything Hollywood. He didn't want anything. Mm-hmm. Now, as it turned out, he did get a bit of a, a melody, which I think is an Irish lilt to it, which is befitting of the Boston landscape. Yeah. He's probably a little bit more... And lyrical than perhaps as far as I imagine, but for most of the time, we're just in a lean, mean, sparse, making the audience suffer slightly because we're not giving them, we're not handing them yeah. like a big symphonic score and saying, "Hey, we're off on a romp." Was romp? We're saying no. This is this is some information that musical information that will make you feel tense, and mm. you're not going to know where, what's going to happen at the end, and you're going to sweat it out. And um, I think that, certainly in those two films, I I feel that was what Ben required of of the score. Quite musical. I definitely. I mean, I, I've got memories of him sitting in the studio, picking up a guitar and strumming some chords. Whether he's musical or not, I couldn't. 
I and then so I'm, I mean sort of in terms of as a director so yeah. it's quite it's quite interesting on the podcast in terms of you get directors who they almost kind of uh, it's it's quite interesting. They almost sort of excuse themselves at, at the start by going, "Listen, I I don't know much about music, so the conversation that I have with my composers is very kind of, you know, I want to feel this or I want to." Whereas some of them have more of a dialogue around being able to talk about it in a different way, sort of thing. Well, I definitely think, uh, yeah, for sure, he he knew what he wanted emotionally, and in a sense, I think it's my job. It's not my job to to go into a room and start talking about quavers and crotchets and, yeah, yeah. and trombones and I, I think I've got to be able to talk to and in many ways I want to talk to them on the emotional level because yeah. it just so happens that I on a good day I can bring something to a project emotion you know, something emotional to a project uh, and my ways of doing that are because of crotchets and quavers and trombones but I mean that's that's my problem that's that's like that's what yeah. I chose to study for you know since I was a child and I've managed to monetize that and get into a room with someone like Ben Affleck. At that point, I leave all the all the jargon to one side, and and then we have to find the common language, which is what do we feel in this scene? I, you're right, though. There are directors who definitely say that they don't. But I, despite all the ones who've said that, there's very few where I've seen them sort of just sort of say, I don't know. Tell you, yeah. tell me. Most of the time, you. I think it's a sort of, it's almost a nicety saying, you know, I know you know your stuff. It's like, great, but I now want to talk to you as, you know, so we're, I want to talk to you in a, in a language that we are both familiar with. And and I can't really think of anyone I've worked with where, of course, there's moments where where one cannot, you know, we one loses the thread. Of course there are. Mm. Um, and that one cannot find the interchanging, you know, words that, that, I understand, they understand, but I've certainly been, he absolutely knew knew what he wanted. And and you know, I'd say he may have changed his mind, you know, over the, I remember we were in post for a reasonable amount of time. And of course that gives more opportunity to think of things in different ways. Again, it's yeah. part of my job. You can't, you can't say, oh, well, three weeks ago, you said you wanted that there. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's so, good because they're, they're listening, aren't they? That's a sign that they're listening to you and they're listening to like what you saying, go back to what you say, what, what fits the purpose of the film and drives the narrative and the characters and stuff, you know, they, that's what it's going to do. It's going to facilitate the film, isn't it? Yeah. And there's always, I mean, long, it seems like long gone now the days of of sitting in a room with a director and playing back, you know, they sit there and you say, Hey, listen to this cue and you play it. I mean, now of course you send quick times or, or whatever streaming stuff, yeah. and, but there's also, there's always that, you know, how do you want to present your piece of music? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for them the first time they hear it, to hear it with their dialogue and with their sound effects and whatever they've got in there, because that's part of what I'm contributing towards. That, yeah. you know, it's not, it's, I'm not making a bloody album here. I mean, that might happen further down the road if if people like, you know, if, if you think, oh, yeah. okay, it's just together and I've got 60 minutes or 45 minutes, whatever it is of good stuff. But I do think in those, those initial moments, we need to hear the sound of the film or the television show or the whatever it is. And that that isn't exclusively music. Now, of course, I, I that's how I first like to play it. There is a moment afterwards where they may say, oh, you know what? And then you say, well, let's just listen to now. Let's just listen to the music. But I think mm. the first utterance of that piece needs to be needs to be played in in, in the fullness of, of for which it was intent, intended, which obviously mm. means those other things as well, which often, often are bloody annoying. You don't want that dialogue line there. You don't want that gunshot. Yeah. But hey, it's the movie business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's I listen. I really hope we get to hear that there's going to be a season two of of Sandman because I think it, it deserves it on so many levels, sort of thing. And I just I'm I'm so interested and desperate to to see and learn more about these characters and the world as well. So fingers crossed, and then we can have another episode and chat about season two if that's all right. I'd love to do that. Yeah, and I uh, think it's it's one of those things where everyone that I've spoken to and whether I've spoken to them or not, it's evident from what I've watched, you know, everyone's invested so much. I think almost now we've, we've, we've built what I think we would all internally agree is a really solid foundation and more because it clearly has gone down well. So now it's like, now I feel that we can sort of go, if we're yeah. allowed, we can go forward with a confidence of knowing that we've got, we've got yeah. some, I think in many, I think we will see, more wondrous and magical things um, if, if we are permitted to, to carry on with this. So let I have everything. <laughs> I have everything crossed, David. Brilliant. Um, yeah, really too. wonderful to chat to you. Thank you Bye, so much you. for your time. Yeah. And um, yeah, I hope to see you in person at some point. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. See you at the Take season care. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> see you then. Bye-bye. You. Take care. Bye. From the soundtrack to season one of The Sandman, that's every hundred years, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with composer David Buckley. I think we need to start a petition now for season two. There's been no sniff of it. I know that everybody involved, be that Neil, be that the cast, be that David, are desperate for the green light for season two. And I think us as fans, we need to do everything that we can to let Netflix and that whole side of things know that we want it so I'm not sure how we do that but if you want it just let them know social media I guess is the best way uh, of doing that thanks once again to David for taking the time to talk to us I really hope to have another opportunity to chat to him so we can dive deeper into his back catalogue Salman is available to watch in full on Netflix right now and I highly recommend that you do so if you're new to the podcast, head to edithbowman.com where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast and the Spotify playlist which accompany them. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. Also, please do get in touch. Info at edithbowman.com um, I wanted to just highlight something as well because as you're listening to this, something has been re-released in cinemas. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when it was World Cinema Day and you could go to the cinema to watch things like Star Trek The Wrath of Khan or E.T. Well, ahead of the new Avatar film, which is coming at Christmas time, the original Avatar film has been re-released in cinemas. This coming Friday, the 30th of September. I was lucky enough this week to be hosting a kind of presentation of Avatar, uh, The Way of Water is the name of the second film, and meet some of the new young cast. 
uh, who play the Sully Kids and some of the other amazing talent. It was phenomenal to hear a little bit about what went into the making of this new film. So we are booking in to go and see the original Avatar this weekend in cinemas because it's been re-released in cinemas ahead of the second film coming out. There's a little tip for you. Next week on Soundtracking, we'll have another wonderful deep dive into the beautiful and creative world of music and film. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>